0: Good morning. Uh, This is a hearing in a matter of Desolation Holdings, case number 23-10597. I note that we have a number of parties that are participating via Zoom. I would ask that uh, those parties give me either a verbal or visual thumbs up that uh, they can see and hear me. I do have counsel for the debtor uh, present in the courtroom. I see Mr. Hengel. Good morning. All right. I see thumbs. That's good. I'm ready to proceed. Ms. Tomasco, good morning and welcome.
1: Good morning, Your Honor, and uh, thank you for giving us time today. I am um, Patty Tomasco with Quinn Emanuel on behalf of the debtors. I'm joined by my colleagues, Alenja Kay, who has been here before, and also Mr. Stephen House uh, from our D.C. office is here Welcome, with sir. me today. Obviously, David Maria, the plant administrator, is here also um, uh, in the courtroom, and, of course, the esteemed Mr. Ken Enos from Young, Conaway um, to get started, um, we're going to f- follow the agenda, at least for the first part, and then I'm going to ask for a little indulgence to switch the order of presentation to do, um, after we do the omnibus claim objections, um, we think it makes sense to do the... The
0: protective order. protective order. I was before. thinking precisely the same thing.
1: Correct, Your Honor, because it, it's a, a little bit of a gating issue to the substance. and And it so is. for that reason... We want to do the omnibus claim objections to get as much uh, a wood chopped today as we possibly can. For that reason, I'm going to turn it over to my colleague, Joanna Katos, who has permission to appear uh, via Zoom because she has a serious leg injury and can't travel. Um, and so she's going to handle the omnibus claim objections because she wrote them and she knows them better than everybody else. Uh, so with leave, that, well, I would like to turn it over to Ms. Katos.
0: We will leave it to the pros. Ms. Katos, good morning and welcome. I hope you're well.
2: Good morning, Your Honor. Uh, Joanna K. of Queen Emanuel on behalf of the Plan Administrator. Um, Your Honor, the, um, the first uh, object, objection on the amended agenda is item 8, which, is, uh, which was filed at dockets number 542, which was sealed, and 543, redacted, and which is the first omnibus non-substantive objection to certain exact duplicate claims. And as a householding matter of the court's permission, I would be referring to the docket maps of the redacted versions available on the public docket, which is docket item 543. Um, First, I move into evidence declaration of Evan Hengel in support of debtors' first first omnibus non-substantive objection to certain duplicate claims, which was filed as Exhibit B to the objection at docket 543-3. Mr. Hengel is available online. For cross-examination.
0: Very good. I would ask if anyone uh, objects to the admission of Mr. Hengel's declaration as part of the debtor's case in chief for purposes of the claim objection pending. Very well. Uh, Mr. Hengel's declaration is admitted. Ms. Katas, you may proceed.
2: Thank you, Your Honor. <clears throat> By this objection, the debtors request disallowing and expanding the exact duplicate claims identified on Schedule 1 of the, motion- of the objection. Schedule 1 was filed at Docket 543-2, and it contains 105 claims. The debtors have reviewed and analyzed the 105 exact duplicate claims listed on Schedule 1 to the proposed order and have determined that each exact duplicate claim was filed by or on behalf of the same claimant in the same amount and priority on account of the same alleged liability and against the same debtor more than once. More specifically, on Schedule 1, the claims listed under the column duplicate claim to be disallowed are exact duplicates of the corresponding claims listed under the column titled remaining claim. Your Honor, the debtors are not required to pay twice of the same obligation. This allowance of these redundant claims will enable the claims register to reflect more accurately the claims asserted against the debtors and it is allowing expungement of the exact duplicate claims will not prejudice any claimants in their or their substantive rights against the debtors, because each remaining claim will remain on the claims register, subject to the debtors' ongoing rights to object to the remaining claims on these or other applicable grants, including other grants set forth in the debtors' subsequent omnibus objections. Support for this motion was provided in the uh, declaration of Evan Hengel, which was uh, admitted into evidence, and it's uh, filed under 543-3 at paragraphs 5 through 7. In yeah. you know, the debtors received two informal objections to the motion from individual customers, uh, Mr. Yuki Kato and Mr. Richard Bell-Ratti. Uh, Mr. Yuki Kato's claim is listed in row 103 of the schedule, and Mr. Richard Belrati's claims are listed in row 77 of the schedule. The debtors believe that they have resolved these objections. Um, additionally, the debtors will submit a revised proposed order excluding from the objection and not disallowing the claim of Mr. Robert Kerr-Kobran, which is claim C597-10061 at row 80. Mr. Pogrom did not submit an objection, but the debtors is determined that his claim, C-597-1061 was inadvertently included also in the second uh, omnibus objection, filed at docket 544, which was sealed and 545 redacted, which the court sustained at docket 658 entered on December 1st. The second omnibus objection claim uh, of Mr. Pogran number 10,061 is designated as the surviving claim and as a result including Mr. Pogran's claim 10,061 10, also in the first omnibus objection would result in complete disallowance of Mr. Pogran's claims which was not the debtor's intention. We would therefore um, upload a revised order excluding uh, this particular claim from the uh, first omnibus objection. And unless Your Honor has any questions, we request uh, that the court sustain the objection and, and the revised proposed order to be uploaded after the hearing.
0: Very good. Um, I do not have any questions. I would ask if anyone wishes to be heard with the debtor with respect to the debtor's first omnibus non-substantive objection to certain duplicate claims. Very well. Hearing no response, I'm satisfied that the relief requested is appropriate and warranted. I will sustain or uh, grant the debtor's first omnibus objection, and I will look for that order to be uploaded. Ms. Ketas, you may proceed.
2: Thank you, Your Honor. Your Honor, the next objection on the amended, uh, amended agenda is item 9, which was filed on dockets number 548, sealed, and 549, redacted and which is debtor's fourth omnibus non-substantive objection to certain incorrect debtor claims. And again, I will be referring to the docket numbers, the reductive versions, in this case, docket item 548. First, I move into evidence, the declaration of Evan Hengel in support of debtor's fourth omnibus non-substantive objection to certain incorrect debtor claims, which was filed as Exhibit B to the objection at docket 549-3. Mr. Hengel is available online for cross-examination.
0: Very good. I would ask if there are any objections to the admission of Mr. Hengel's declaration in connection with the debtor's fourth omnibus claim objection. Very well. Uh, Mr. Hengel's declaration is admitted. You may proceed.
2: Thank you, Your Honor. By this objection, the debtor's request allowing and expanding the incorrect debtor claims identified on Schedule 1 of the motion, and Schedule 1 was filed a docket 549-2 and it contains 274 claims. The debtors have reviewed and analyzed the 274 incorrect debtor claims listed on Schedule 1 in order to the proposed order and found no evidence indicating that these claimants hold a claim against the Asserted Debtor Desolation Holdings LLC, BTREX Inc., Bittrex Malta Holdings LTD or Bittrex Malta LTD as applicable. As such, the incorrect data claims failed to establish a valid legal or factual basis of asserting a claim against the named data. However, the debtors have determined that each incorrect data claim is a customer claim appropriately asserted against debtors Bittrex Inc. or Bittrex Malta LTD. The Holdings LLC did not operate a crypto exchange and did not enroll customers or accept cryptocurrency or fiat associated with uh, customer accounts which were instead held with debtors Bittrex Inc. or Bittrex Malta LTD. And furthermore, Desolation Holdings LLC, similarly like Bittrex Malta Holdings LTD, are not jointly and severally liable with Bittrex Inc. or Bittrex Malta LTD, LTD with respect to any liabilities. These cases also have not been substantively consolidated. Reassigning the incorrect data claim as the claim against the data appearing in the correct data column of Schedule 1 to the proposed order filed at Docket 549-2 does not affect the claimant's substantive rights as the claimant will re- retain its incorrect debtor claim in the s filed amount, albeit against a different debtor against whom the claim should have been properly asserted. Resigning the incorrect debtor claim against the correct debtor, BITREX INC or ltd will enable the debtors to maintain a more accurate claims register. The claimants holding the incorrect data claims will not be prejudiced by this relief as the incorrect data claim will remain on the claim register, although against the correct data subject to the data's ongoing rights to object to the incorrect data claims on another applicable grants, including grants set forth in data's subsequent omnibus objections. And support for this motion is provided in the already admitted declaration of Evan Hangel, filed at Docket 543 543- five forty nine at five five through seven. The, honor, the debtors received two informal responses of Yuki Kato and then Flavius Motidino Dino and one formal response filed at Dr. Docket Number five seven six seventeen, which is the response of Mr Steven Crouch. Mr Kato's claims are listed in rows two hundred and forty and two hundred and forty one of Schedule One and the debtors believed that they resolved the response of Mr. Cato. Mr. Crouch's claim is listed in row 215 of schedule one, that's claim C-597-209. And Mr. Dino's claim is listed in row 61 of schedule one, that's claim C-597-10232. In spite of efforts, which included phone calls, voice messages and emails, the debtors were unable to establish contact With Mr. Crouch or Mr. Dino. Um, Additionally, the debtors received a response of uh, from. I can um, I can explain more about the substance of the responses of Mr. Crouch and Mr. Dino, or I can, um, if uh, if the court wishes to hear about it. Otherwise, I will proceed to um, address another.
0: No, I've had an opportunity to review Mr. Mm -hmm. Crouch's uh, uh, response, and um, obviously the court would afford Mr. Crouch an opportunity to be heard if he's attending today. Um, Is Mr. Crouch or anyone on his behalf present in the courtroom or participating uh, virtually via Zoom? Very well. Um, Ms. Kitas, you may proceed.
2: Thank you, Eleanor. Additionally, uh, the debtors received a response from Mr. Michael Koch filed at DOCAD 660. The debtors believe that this is a response to the individual objection of, the Mr. Koch's, uh, of Mr. Koch. Mr. Koch claims it was filed at Docket 613 and it was also docketed as a response to objection at Docket 613. However, to clarify, Mr. Koch's claim was also inadvertently included on the fourth omnibus objection to imperial debtor claims at row 153 at Claim uh, c 597 The response of Mr. Koch does not address the substance of the omnibus objection. Um, the response alleges that Mr. Koch was simply hacked. And the debtors believe that it is appropriate to sustain uh, the objection and consider the merits of the claim of Mr. Koch at the hearing, at the individual objection scheduled uh, for December 20th. Okay. And unless the owner has any questions, we request that the Court uh, sustain the fourth omnibus uh, objection and enter the proposed order filed at Docket 549-2.
0: I do not have any questions. I would ask if anyone wishes to be heard with respect to the debtor's fourth omnibus objection to incorrect debtor claims appearing at Docket Number 548. Hearing no response, I'm satisfied the debtors have carried their burden as to the relief requested. I will sustain or grant the objection and um, I will look for that order to be uploaded. You may proceed, Ms. Ketas.
2: Thank you, Your Honor. The next objection on the amended agenda is item 11, which was filed at docket's number 550, sealed, and 551, the redacted version, which is the debtor's fifth omnibus substantive objection to certain misclassified claims. And again, I will be referring to the uh, redacted versions uh, on the public docket, uh, which is docket item 551. First, I move into evidence uh, the declaration of Mr. Evan Hengel in support of debtor's fifth omnibus substantive objection to certain misclassified claims, which was filed as Exhibit B to the motion at Docket 551-3. Mr. Hengel is available online for cross-examination.
0: All right. I would ask if there is any objection to the admission of Mr. Hengel's declaration in connection with the debtor's fifth omnibus substantive objection. Very well. Mr. Hengel's declaration is admitted. Ms. Katos, you may proceed.
2: Thank you, Your Honor. By this, motion, the, uh, by this objection, the debtors request that the misclassified claims be reclassified to the extent set forth on Schedule 1 of the objection. Schedule 1 was filed at docket 551-2, and it contains 97 claims. Based upon the review and analysis of the misclassified claims listed on Schedule 1 to the proposed order, the Datas have determined that each such misclassified claim was filed incorrectly as administrative priority or secured claim, where such claim cannot be properly classified as any of the foregoing. All of the misclassified claims are submitted by customers, where balances of cryptocurrency and fiat associated with the Bitrex accounts have status of general unsecured claims based on the nature of the relationship between the debtors and their customers. As such, assetting secured or priority claims has no legal basis with respect to balances associated with customer accounts. Failure to, reclass- failure to reclassify the misclassified claims will result in creditors receiving recoveries on account of those misclassified claims to the detriment of other similarly situated creditors. Support for this motion was provided in the declaration of Evan Hengel, which was admitted into evidence, was filed at Docket 551-3 at Paragraphs 5 and 6. The data received two letter responses of Anita Broadway-Skillern at Docket 621 and of Diana Saavedra, Docket 637, as well as one informal response of Mr. Troy Matthews. Mr. Matthews' claim is listed in row 92 of Schedule 1, that's Claim C-598-1239. The data believe that they have resolved Mr. Matthews' response. Mr. Skillern's claim is listed in Row 10 of Schedule 1, that's claim C597-10144. Uh, the debtors uh, discussed the, uh, the letter response with Mr. Skillern at length, but were unable to reach an agreement to uh, withdraw the response. Mr., Ms. Saavedra's claim is listed in Row 26 of Schedule 1, that's claim c 598-941. She filed a, a priority, um, priority claim uh, in the amount of $3,350 and unsecured amount of uh, $3,569 for a total amount of nearly $7,000. Um, in spite of efforts, uh, the debtors were unable to uh, establish any contact with Ms. Saavedra. I can go over the details of the responses or um, No, I think we can we proceed. Can. Mm-hmm. Um, I okay. will afford
0: I will afford the respondents or the claimants an opportunity to be heard if they wish at the appropriate time.
2: So unless Your Honor has had the questions, we request that the Court overrule an objections and sustain the fifth omnibus claim objection and enter the proposed order filed a dock at Docket 551-2.
0: Very good, thank you. I have no questions. I would ask, uh, again, we've identified a number of parties that have responded. Um, I would ask if uh, anyone is present in the courtroom or participating uh, virtually via Zoom for Ms. Broadway-Skillern, Ms. Saavedra, or Mr. Matthews. Hearing no response, I am satisfied that the debtors have carried their burden as to the relief requested. Um, and I would be prepared to enter an order granting and sustaining the debtor's uh, fifth omnibus objection to claims. I'll look for that order to be uploaded.
2: Thank you, Your Honor. And I will turn now uh, the virtual podium to uh, Mr. Mosko.
0: Very good. Mr. Mosco? Thank you, Ms. Ketas.
2: <coughs>
1: thank you, Your Honor. Um, as as uh, predicted, um, we're going to ask to take up Uh, now the um, item number 14 on the agenda which is the omnibus motion for protective order uh, found at docket um, item 631 uh, that we filed on November 27th of 2023. Okay. Um, With respect to the motion for protective order we propose taking this out of order because in certain unfiled motions to continue from the three Iranian claimants that's um, Mr. Momenzada Arapour and Abasi. Um, they've argued that the reason why they, uh, in in their uh, responses to the claim objection, their primary objection to the claim objection is that they did not get discovery from the debtors, as detailed in the motion that discovery was served um, any you know one week before the November mm-hmm. 27th uh, deadline to respond to the to the claim objection. The discovery consists of various items that are requiring voluminous um, uh, production with respect to the claims of every single um, uh, individual that was subject to the interaction between Bittrex and OFAC. That would include um, all of the other customers from Iran, uh, customers from various other sanctioned countries uh, such as Cuba, uh, Crimea, and other countries they're asking for all of that to be produced. They're also asking to be produced the correspondence and the interactions between OFAC and Bittrex. Um, But it has nothing to do with these claim objections. So our primary objection to the uh, discovery that was posited by these claimants is that it was posited for an improper purpose. And it has nothing to do with what what the court has to determine here. I've invited Mr. Stephen House from our D.C. office who um, regularly deals with OFAC regulations. He's going to describe how the claimant's various allegations about Bitrix's reaction to the OFAC subpoena that was issued in uh, November of 2017. I'm sorry, October of 2017. Um, has nothing to do with how the customers in Bittrex interact with each other. It has s- solely to do with the regulatory environment here in the U.S. Um, in 2017, Bittrex engaged in a back and forth with OFAC and determined to self-report, um, sought what's called an OFAC license, published that OFAC license and sent emails to all of the affected customers. Um, and Finally, that OFAC license was granted in 2019, and it was for a period of six months, and it expired at the end of March of 2020. Iranian customers were told that they could withdraw their crypto. Several of them, I mean hundreds of them did, and some of them did not. So we had 440 Iranians withdrew $1.5 million worth of crypto. Um, Some Iranians did not. Um, and you'll hear that Mr. Abbasi was one of the Iranians that did withdraw all of the crypto in his account. <clears throat> With respect to the Iranians who did not take advantage of the OFAC license, that crypto is still there. As the, as the court knows, none of the crypto has moved from this debtor. It has a completely matched book, um, and you know, under the terms of the plan, the customers if they comply with regulatory um, requirements and KYC so that we do not violate US law, they'll be allowed to get their crypto back. And that's the same for these three Iranian claimants. Um, And Mr. House can explain how the OFAC regulations don't give them a private right of action and this regulatory environment, Bittrex did what it was supposed to do given the circumstances that existed in 2017. We have made three substantive claim objections to the three Iranian claimants' claims. If you reviewed the claims, you know that they allege $300,000 worth of damages, $200,000 worth of damages, $100,000 worth of damages, or 10 bitcoins, five bitcoins. These are very round numbers that have nothing to do with the exact cryptocurrency holdings in those accounts. So what does the claim objection say? It says, for Mr. Abbasi, you withdrew all of your cryptocurrency that could be withdrawn in response to the OFAC license. You withdrew it at the beginning of 2020. You have zero balance in your account. That's what it says. Arab poor. He has four surviving claims. He's claiming $300,000 as a secured claim against BUS, Bittrex, Malta. Debtors records show a balance of four different coins, BTC, DOGE, SC, BCH, worth $8,400. i am using May 8th numbers just for- I understand. Okay. And Mr. Momenzida, he has five surviving claims that he has not withdrawn against Bittrex, U.S., Malta, and Malta Holdings, which as you heard Ms. Kata say, Malta Holdings never did any contracts with um, Iranian customers. Our objection says, you agree to the terms of service that says we can suspend a coin and we can suspend services and you waive all consequential other damages and that is in the Terms of Service 2015 that all three claimants admitted that they entered into. So we're going to dispense with a lot of the noise and try to keep this as streamlined as possible. They agree to the 2015 Terms of Service. The 2015 Terms of Service that you will find at Exhibit 70, Part 19, contains the conspicuous limitation of liability and part 4.7 of exhibit 70 permits Bittrex to limit the availability of any currency and disclaims any losses for removing currency from the site such as defunct crypto. You will also see in the plan that it also disclaims liability for defunct crypto and none of the claimants objected to the plan. So what we are proposing to do is if if they make a claim for a defunct crypto, that is a piece of crypto that because of the nature of cryptocurrency, um, it has become eco- uneconomic or cannot be supported. So some of them, it may mean that the originator of the crypto no longer maintains the blockchain. It, that you couldn't move it from one blockchain to, from one customer to another, even if you tried. Another type of defunct crypto is where the cost of extracting or trading that particular currency is, exceeds the value of the currency. So this is sort of like, you know, if you were trading in in Italian lira um, in 1930, and all of a sudden that that currency went away, you may have a a, a nice souvenir, but it's not worth anything. So that's the that's what defunct crypto is. But even if we allowed the claims for defunct crypto, in these cases, the testimony will show that they're worth $2, $4, very, very small amounts. So what do we have here? We have claims from customers, $8,400 from airport. uh, And Momenzada has um, somewhere around uh, $3,000 worth. and Mr. Abbasi has zero. zero. And so why are we having to uh, go back and look at our records and pull every single customer that we self-reported to the o- to OFAC? Why are we having to go back and discuss all of the correspondence back and forth with OFAC? How does that help the court resolve these claims? Um, So we we know that the rules changed in 26B1 states as it was amended in, I believe, 2015. Parties may obtain discovery proportional to the needs of the case, considering the importance of the issues at stake in the action, the amount and controversy, and the parties relative access to relevant information. The importance of discovery in resolving issues and whether the burden or expense of the proposed discovery outweighs the likely benefit. This standard can't be met with the discovery that they've served. Now, keep in mind, we, in response to discovery, gave them every single record we had with respect to their account. Their Zendesk history, their account trading history, and any correspondence that we could find in the system between any of the Bitrix entities and them. So they got that, we responded within a few days of receiving the discovery, but we said to them, hey we need to talk to you about this other stuff because we don't think it's relevant, we don't think it's proportional, and they refused to get on the phone with us. Um, and so we were not able to resolve this consensually. But <clears throat> That being said, we did cooperate to the extent that it was appropriate for these claim objections. So, what do we have here? We know they agreed to the 2015 Terms of Service. They've admitted that in their answers to the claim objections. They've admitted in their answers to the claim objections that they don't want a double recovery. Each of them has between three and six surviving claims that they have not withdrawn, including against Bintrix Malta holdings But... That's what we've asked, we get one recovery of the amount in your account, that's what you get. Um, that's what we're asking the claims to be allowed at. Obviously we're going to have to deal with the regulatory issues. If they can prove that they live in Turkey, as they've represented in their sworn proofs of claim, and that they would therefore not be subject to the Iranian sanctions that OFAC enforces, then that would be um, fine, we could we could allow, that's, that's what Mr. Goddard did. Goddard successfully proved in the summer of 2023 that he actually resided in Turkey even though when he opened his account he was an Iranian citizen and resided in Turkey. So if they can prove that they have moved to to Turkey and that the term, the regulatory term is ordinarily resident in Turkey or elsewhere that is not a sanctioned country then they can withdraw their crypto. But the discovery that they're seeking puts proportionality on its head. We should be able to say to a claimant, this is what our records show we owe you. And if they disagree with it, they can say, well, this is what my records show. I I say I put in more Bitcoin than you're showing and here's a record. That's the kind of exchange we should be having. It should not be a fishing expedition in search of an additional cause of action that they never put in their claim in the first place. And that's what they're trying to do. These claims are zero three thousand eighty four hundred dollars worth. We don't need to examine voluminous evidence in order to resolve them. So um, Mr. House is here. So I'm going to turn over the podium okay. to him so he can explain the OFAC issues in this case and how Bittrex responsibly handled these issues and how they're not relevant to the individual claims of these Iranian citizens.
0: Very good. Mr. Hauser?
3: Good morning and welcome. Good morning, Your Honor. Thank you, Stephen House, Quinn Emanuel, for the uh, plan administrator. Uh, I wanted to start with a, a clarification. Uh, one of the arguments that the claimants have made as to why they need the discovery is to show that Bitrix illegally blocked their accounts, uh, and I think that term "blocked" has been used somewhat loosely. So, Bitrix disabled Iranian accounts and other accounts of sanctioned jurisdictions. And it prevented IP addresses in those jurisdictions from accessing the platform. So in the colloquial sense, it is correct that individuals were blocked from the platform.
0: Is blocked a term of art? It it
3: is a term of art in the sanctions context. So uh, when OFAC places specific individuals or entities on what's known as the specially designated national or SDN list, those individuals and entities are subject to blocking sanctions. And what that means is if property comes within the possession of a U.S. person or a U.S. entity, that U.S. person or entity is obligated to, quote, block the property. There are specific procedures that need to be followed, a specific account that needs to be set up, and a report that needs to be filed with OFAC within a certain amount of time.
0: Let me ask you a question. I appreciate the the primer on the term. And I, I think you've acknowledged that at least from a layman's point of view, the concept is blocked. I can't get access because I am in a jurisdiction. It, the sanctions are not directed at me personally, and there's another suite of sanctions or flavor of, of sanctions that are identifying particular individuals. That's not what we're talking about. Correct. Um, is there a meaningful distinction for purposes of the relief that the debtor is seeking today?
3: Yeah, so the distinction is that when property is blocked – uh, it is subject to, it can only be released by OFAC uh, authorization of that release. It's Affirmative the, the, relief and particular That relief. And that and that blocking is essentially, the property has been seized by the U.S. government. It's not being held by the U.S. person anymore. It's effectively being held by the U.S. government. Okay. That's not what happened here. So there was no blocking. None of these individuals are SDNs. The property was not blocked. Uh, no reports were filed with OFAC. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a different regulation. So what we're talking about is 31 CFR 560.204 and 31 CFR 560.206. And what those regulations say is that U.S. persons are prohibited from exporting services to Iran. And the definition of a Iran includes individuals who are ordinarily resident in Iran. Now, as a U.S. person, Bittrex is subject to that very broad restriction not providing any services to individuals in Iran. But that is especially true after Bitrix received the subpoena from OFAC. The reason for that is that OFAC has civil administrative authority. And so it's a strict liability basis. Mm-hmm. If you violate the sanctions, even inadvertently, OFAC can impose uh, penalties and, and, and sanctions on you. Um, but if you violate the sanctions willfully, and the definition of willfully for these purposes is knowing it to be unlawful, Mm -hmm. then you're subject to potential criminal penalty by the Department of Justice. So once uh, Bittrex received the subpoena and discovered the compliance gap, if it had continued to violate the sanctions, for example, by operating the accounts or transferring the funds, it faced potential criminal liability. So I I understand. So what the uh, claimants point to is frequently asked question 37. So this is guidance that is put out by OFAC itself on its website. And what that frequently asked question asks is, uh, if a bank account is being operated for an individual living in Iran, is it blocked? And the uh, answer to that provided by OFAC consistent with what I just explained is, no, it's not blocked, it's restricted. And it says, uh, the Iranian sanctions prohibit the export of goods or services to Iran By operating an account for an individual or company in Iran, the bank would be exporting services to that person or entity in violation of the Iranian transactions regulations. So that's, as I just explained, that violation of those prohibitions in the regulations. What I think the claimants are focusing on is the next part that says, the accounts, however, are not blocked. The account holder can close the account and have the funds transferred to his or her account outside the United States. So they're trying to show that Bittrex could have simply, without a license, transferred their currency outside of Bittrex, outside the United States. Now, the reason that that reliance on that frequently asked question is incorrect is because that's focusing on a bank and the transfer of fiat currency. So when a bank transfers an Iranian resident's funds outside of the bank, it has three obligations. Number one, it has to go to a bank outside the United States. Number two, it cannot go to a bank in a sanctioned jurisdiction. They couldn't send it to a Cuban or North Korean bank. And number three, the bank to which it's transferred can't be on the SDN list. But we're not talking about a bank with a fiat currency. Digital currency is different. And because of the fact that the addresses are on a server, on a computer, and it's not obvious from the address of where the digital currency would be sent, that it is in fact outside the United States and not in a sanctioned jurisdiction, and not of a sanctioned uh, platform. Uh, Bitrix would be required to engage in- The thought process there, if I understand, would be that
0: financial institutions and banks have been around for a long time. Their structure and their legal responsibilities to the host, to wherever they are based, and to whoever their host is, um, is well defined by both statute and regulation cryptocurrency, to your point, is different, even if, you know, we know that banks aren't necessarily moving bags of money from one place to another or from New York to Montreal or something like that. When money lands in an account, it is, as a matter of law, located somewhere. That's right. Is that, and, is that and a it's, fair
3: assessment? I think that's right. And, and so, for example, if Citibank in New York is holding the sanctioned funds and the Iranian resident or Cuban resident or any other sanctioned person says, please transfer it to my account at Credit Suisse in Zurich, Citibank can verify that Credit Suisse is not on the sanctions list, that it's not in a sanctioned jurisdiction, and that it's not in the United States. It's very clear from the instructions of where it's going. And that the individual making the request is not, in fact, blocked. Correct. Okay. By contrast, providing a new wallet address, because of the nature of a wallet address, it would not be obvious that it's not in North Korea or Cuba or Crimea. It's not obvious it's not in the U.S. It's not self-sanctioned. It's not blocked. So because of that, Bitrix's assessment was that it would have to provide additional services or activities beyond what this frequently asked question envisions of simply transferring the funds outside the United States. Which is why in consultation with OFAC itself, and so as reflected in the license application, the OFAC enforcement division told Bittrex to go apply for a license allowing it to withdraw and transfer the digital currencies because of the unique nature of digital currency. And that's what Bittrex did. In April of 2018, it applied for a license, and a license was ultimately granted, which is important because OFAC could have responded to the application by saying, oh, no, you don't need a license. Just go ahead and transfer it outside the U.S. But they didn't. They said, you may transfer it in the following way for the following specified period of time. It was very specific what you are allowed to do, and by implication, what you are not allowed to do. Um, so that the fact that they granted that specific license confirms that Bittrex was correct in its assessment that a license was needed. Now, they couldn't, Bittrex could not make any transfers while that license was pending, and the OFAC price process is extremely long and arduous. In this case, it took 18 months to get the license. Nor can they make any transfers after that five-month period expired. That's by the terms of the license itself. So as of today... It would be unlawful for Bittrex to engage in the services that would be necessary to withdraw and transfer the digital currency. Now, the claimants or any other individual who's uh, you know in a sanctioned jurisdiction whose currency is still on the platform is free to go themselves to OFAC and apply for an additional license, uh, allowing Bittrex to engage in the services that it was previously licensed to engage in. But no one has done that. So as of today, With no license in place and the period having expired, Bittrex cannot withdraw and transfer the funds. Now, the final thing I will say is the claimants seem to be seeking uh, discovery to show that the manner in which Bittrex went about applying for the license, getting the license, and dealing with the situation was incorrect and violated the OFAC rules. Number one, we would submit that that's not correct given, again, the fact that they consulted with OFAC, they applied for and were granted a license, and ultimately reached a settlement with OFAC that acknowledged that what they did was mitigation and remediated the situation. So we believe that pictures handled it the right way. But even assuming that their position was correct, that somehow the manner in which they applied for the license or how they went about this procedure was not correct, that wouldn't be relevant to their claims because the sanctions do not create any private right of actions. What the sanctions say is US person, you cannot do the following. They do not provide any rights or entitlements to the sanctioned persons. And indeed, that would go against the entire purpose of the sanctions. If a sanctioned people could act as police and essentially be deputized to enforce the OFAC rules and could bring lawsuits arguing that the manner in which US persons attempted to comply with the sanctions was improper, that would really defeat the purposes of the sanctions to cut these people off from the U.S. system. So even we ass- we submit that they are wrong, that Bitrix handled this the right way, but even if they, you know, accepting it for purposes of argument that they were correct, there would be no basis for their claims because there's no private right of action under the OFAC regulations.
0: Okay, I understand. Great. Thank you, Your Honor. Right. Thank you, Mr. Hanzer. Um, all right, I do believe that uh, uh, the... Affected claimants that are identified in a motion uh, for a protective order are participating today via a zoom um, I believe that that is miss mr. Arab uh, mr. Abbasi and uh, Mr. Momenzada, um and I would be prepared to hear from you in response to the issues that the specific threshold issue raised by the debtor, which is uh, a request for a protective order from certain discovery requests that have been interposed in connection with the claim objection. Um, Are the uh, claimants present uh, or participating via Zoom? Yes, I am here. All right, Mr. Momenzada, uh, this is Judge Shannon. I assume you can hear me. I can see you. Oh, uh, sir, I'm sorry. Your microphone is muted. Can you unmute?
4: greeting greeting. My name is Adela Aposti, and I'm. And greeting. My name is Adela Aposti, and I am here. I and I uh, and I am the creative I Bitrex INC and Bitrex Malta. I okay. would like to preface my speech to expressing expressing my apologies for. Potential language barriers. As Th- uh, my primary—that's
0: that's in- fine, sir. I can hear you just fine, and I can certainly understand you. You may proceed. This is Judge Shannon. As my
4: as my primary language is not English, having been born and raised in Iran, I regret any misunderstanding or issue that may have arisen due to better and their legal concerns opting for a hearing without before discussion and appointing a mediator. I was in fact open to resolving the matter through mediation mediation, which could have been beneficial for both parties to saving time and preserving the bankruptcy estate. I (coughs) applauded I appreciate uh, your understanding and thank you for your time. In light of my language limitation and potential accent misunderstanding, I request you, your permission to play prepared uh, voice recorded of me.
5: Uh,
0: yeah. app- yes, if you if you have a recording, I would ask you before you would play it. Can you tell me how long the recording is just so that the court understands uh, what, we're, what we're starting?
1: Uh,
4: yes, it is about uh, 10 minutes.
0: Okay. Um, here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to ask that we, everybody just stay on the line for just a moment. Um, we're going to have to take a short break. I think uh, counsel in the courtroom were informed. I have another hearing that should be about five minutes. I don't want to risk having people, particularly those that are not in the country, get off of the Zoom and try to get back in. So I want to leave the Zoom open. It may be that I can do that from my desk, from from either my desk. It's a status conference, or I would do it from the from the courtroom. Um, I'm going to consult for a moment. We're going to take a, uh, a a very short break. I'm going to consult with the court reporter just to make sure but I'm going to ask nobody turn off your cameras or, or I'm sorry, nobody leave the, the Zoom line just because we've had issues, uh, you know, obviously over the years in the past, and I don't want to take any risk that we lose some of the people that are participating remotely, acknowledging that they are in other countries. So, Mr. Abbasi, you have made a request to present uh, a, a recording. I assume, sir, this is a recording that you have made, and it's a recording of you. Is that correct? Yes, Okay, um, I think that that's fine with me. I will permit that, um, but I want to take just a moment, so I'm going to ask everyone to sit tight. I'm going to confer with the court reporter, and I will be back to you in just a moment with what our, uh, with what our plan is. Um, we are briefly adjourned. Thank you. Good morning again. This is Judge Shannon. I have conferred with the court reporter um, in order to avoid any risk of disruption to the parties that are in today's hearing, I am going to take my 11 a.m. status conference um, in chambers, uh, and uh, I expect it to be very brief. I'm going to ask that parties simply remain uh, on the Zoom line, and we will be able to uh, uh, reconvene again, presumably, and hopefully without disruption with, um, I think when we reconvene, Mr. Abbasi has asked for the opportunity to present a recording that he has made. The court has permitted or will permit that to occur, but I'm just going to ask everyone to uh, uh, be patient while I deal with another particular matter. With that, we are adjourned for uh, a few minutes. We will reconvene at the conclusion of my status conference. Stand in
1: recess.
4: please be seated.
0: Okay, good morning again. This is Judge Shannon. I understand from the court reporter that all parties remain on the line. I have debtors counsel in uh, the courtroom as well as the debtors representative. I apologize again for the interruption. I have dealt with my uh, other matter and I um, Again, the court asks that the parties simply wait on the line uh, in order to reconvene. I would ask, Mr. Abassi, are you still uh, uh, on the line, sir? Mr. Abassi, uh, yes. this is Judge Shannon. You're on, correct?
4: Yes, yes um, Your Honor. About OPEC, I have some comment, and I'm using translator to present here. Before I play that uh, mentioned voice, may
0: I? I'm sorry. Hang on. Um, when we before we broke, you advised that you had a recording that you were asking to play um, that would uh, that would take about ten minutes. That would set out your argument and your position. Is that correct?
4: Yes, yes, it's correct. Uh, but I want to mention a, a small a small note about. OPAC, I want to note small uh, note about OPAC before playing that voice, it's if be- possible.
0: Okay. You may proceed.
4: Yes. The
6: USA regularities have extended the definition of bank to crypto exchanges, as Bank Secrecy Act applies to it and FinCEN and SEC. Other regulatory have jurisdiction over Bittrex and it proves the definition of bank is extended to the crypto exchanges. Considering the fact that this FAQ is explained by AFIP in 2002, at that particular time there was no crypto exchange, Does it conclude all financial related vehicles of future. Otherwise, Alpha would delete that FAQ. It means this explained issue is inclusive that debtors' councils use debtors' products. He should use discovery to prove that Alpha required a license.
4: Okay, now I want to delete that mentioned voice. May I? Uh,
0: yes, but I think I need to understand what you are going to be uh, providing. Um, you have asked to present a recording and I think from your comments it was a recording that you have prepared uh, because of your concern that English is not your first language. Is that correct?
4: Yes, it's correct. I prepare a note in Persian and and after that I use the application to translate to present here.
0: Okay. So, I just want to be clear of what we're doing. You have prepared um, a statement in your native language, uh, Farsi or Persian, correct? Yes. And then you have used translation software to translate it, and you would ask to present that today, correct? Yes. Okay. Um, I am going to permit that, and... I will make a couple observations in connection with this. First is that as a practical matter, federal courts are encouraged to treat individuals that are representing themselves with a measure of flexibility. And I will permit uh, you to do that because I think that it will assist the court uh, in understanding the issues that are being presented and allowing for the development of a full record. Um, there are obviously concerns with respect to the presentation of evidence that is essentially being run through a translation uh, uh, application, but cognizant, I'm aware of that, but I will permit you to do so. The following observation, observation I am doesn't necessarily affect you, Mr. Abbasi, but I think I'm obliged to say that. My ruling today does not impact how the court would deal with this kind of a question at any point in the future. And it's important that I make that observation because uh, we are in something of a brave new world that is evolving rapidly, both with certainly with translation, but even more importantly with artificial intelligence, and courts are struggling to deal with that. You have represented that you have prepared a statement and you have run it through uh, a translation s- software in hopes that I would be able to understand more clearly your presentation. For purposes of this hearing, I will permit that to occur. You may proceed, Mr. Abbasi.
4: Thank you for this chance. Okay, now I play a voice. This is a voice
6: recording by Mr. Abbasi. Delivered in an American accent to maintain clear communication for the battered desolation holdings. Case number 23 10597. The recording highlighted his objections to the debtors about an ongoing production and incorporated his statement for the proof of claim hearing. I respectfully challenge the depiction and assertions that the debtors' counsel is attempting to make of me in my things. To begin with, I am unsure about how the debtor or non-debtor entities have managed my assets and accounts since 2017. Therefore, to safeguard my interests and claims, I personally submitted several claims through the Authorized Agent, Omnigent Solutions website. In the spirit of good faith, I have withdrawn duplicate claims, leaving only four claims currently under dispute. Furthermore, I have two customer claims and two general claims. Nonetheless, the Debtors' Council appears to dismiss the general claims concerning the damages I have incurred. As an act of good faith, I am setting the cap of my general claim to 140000 USD. This is designed to be a single recovery from the debtors, and no duplicate claims are to be made. As a result, I am open to negotiations and assessments concerning the precise figure. As part of the customer claims, I hold LMC Lama coin a type of digital currency, which I exchanged for Bitcoin in 2017. As a consequence, LamaCoin, as a customer asset, belongs to me, and Bitrix, Incorporated and Bitrix Malta Opco should be held liable for it. Finally, regarding the general claims, I experienced damages due to Bitrix Incorporated's actions and misleading points from Bitrix founders in 2017. Bitrix now only, intentionally, Purposefully provided services to Iranian residents, for which we have evidence to substantiate. Thus, the AFAQ issue is beyond the presented proceedings, and we first need to comprehend how the tricks and expounders targeted Iranian users residing in Iran. Your Honor, we have evidence demonstrating the tricks and expounders' intentions, but this cannot be fully explored in this short period. Your Honor, given the limited time frame, It is challenging for me to defend my rights as English is not my first language. Moreover, the opposing party is equipped with numerous lawyers, and they amended the hearing agenda just a few hours before it commenced. Docket number 761. Your Honor, they did not produce all documents that support my proof of claim and their objections while they had them all in possession. Instead, they threatened me with sanctions. At this hearing, I am respectfully seeking one- to compel them to produce the documentation in question docket number 632, exhibits 1 and exhibit C2. 2. They request to adjourn the hearing in relation to the response to the objection docket, docket number 632, exhibit S1 and exhibit S2. 3. To seek sanctions against the debtors' councils, debtors and its plan administrator. This is because, 1. The debtor's counsel is attempting to expedite this bankruptcy case with false statements and misleading the court. I have Llama Coin, LMC, a type of digital currency in my account. The counsel stated that LMC is non recoverable and non transferable. Objection
1: paragraph 23, and also August 14, 2023, letter signed by Ms. Patricia Tomasco. However, there are
6: many transactions related to Llama and other LHD listed coins in. Docket number 92, some of which were transferred to debtors' customers and some of which were transferred to them. Non- debtor entity bitrix global a few months ago. The aforementioned Docket 92 filed by Mr. Enos. Kenneth expresses that all of debtors' counsel were cognizant of the fact that the LMC was transferable and recoverable post-June 21st, 2019. Debtors transferred assets to non-debtor entities and also to customers' wallets which contradicts Mr. Ennis. Kenneth and Ms. Patricia Tomasco claim to the court that the LMC was non-transferable or unrecoverable, which statement is true and which is false. If Mr. Tomasco's initial statement is true, it implies that docket number 92 is filled with false transactions and inaccurate an accounting records and Mr. Penis. Kenneth's statement in docket 92 is false. If docket number 92 is accurate and true. Then Mr. Masco's statement on objection and her letter P is false and incorrect. If these assets are transferable to other customers or to Beatrix's non-debtor entities that shut down a few days ago, why can't they be transferred to me? I request Mr. Masco provide a clear statement on this matter as docket number 632, Exhibit E and Exhibit F. Also to answer these questions and as I asked on November thirtieth the following questions by email. One, when was the most recent transaction involving Lomit Point? LMC conducted on Bittrex according to Docket No. 92? Were the LMC assets transferred to customer wallets or an affiliate entity of Bittrex as for Docket Number 3 What kind of evidence was taken into consideration when filing Docket ninety-two and the objection to claims? Two, Your Honor? I'm an Iranian. I was living in Iran in 2017, and opened an account with an Iranian phone number, Iranian passport, and Iranian IP, internet critical. The tricks was founded by four technical experts who had all the information needed to reject transactions as proper rules and regulation. From me and at least 30,000 other Iranian users before opening accounts, however... Bitrix now only an intentional deed provided crypto and trading services to Iranian residents. For example, I personally asked Bill, who I recently understood Bill is the former CEO of Bitrix Incorporated and his full name is Bill Schehera in 2017 on Slack platform. If I could trade from an Iran. answer was yes. He confirmed that I could trade without limitations and many other Iranians did the same on Slack or on a support ticket. Thus, I asked debtors' council to provide Patrick's Slack communication, but debtors' council refused to do so, because they knew it would go against them. Your Honor, we also have evidence that shows Iranians betrayed and be permitted by Patrick's founders. Your Honor, as an Iranian, I live in a country where failing to validate simple things can cost you your life. So we trusted Patrick's statements as a regulated exchange and relied on the statements of Patrick's former CEO. Mr. Bill Shahira and Director of Support, Mr. Ryan heads to open an account and use Vittrex and trade on Bitrix Exchange. Doc 632, Exhibit T3 day and blocked us without notice, causing damage and numerous issues and distresses to me and all Iranian users. Three, Your Honor, my account was disabled, blocked, and barred in October 2017, after which I didn't use any services from Bitrix. Incorporated for Bittrex's Malta the council argues that I accepted new terms of service in 2018. Firstly, I don't remember doing so. Secondly, I was uneligible, thus unable to accept such terms as my account was suspended, and I was residing in Iran at the time. Last and foremost, referring to Bittrex's 2018 terms of service is wrong. ...because account opening and blocking in 2017 occurred before releasing that end ...cannot apply to my relationship with Atrix Incorporated. So all objections in this regard are irrelevant. If they are providing any records contrary to my belief... ...they are false and merely an attempt to constrain me with updated terms and conditions. For your honor, my account and assets were blocked in October 2017... ...according to Wafik Rules... These assets accounts should have remained with Bitrix Incorporated. However, the council states that my assets and accounts were transferred to Patricks Malta ACA, under which rules and regulations was this of block assets to an offshore entity. Batrix Malta authorized. If we accept that this transfer is true, it implies that both Bitrix Incorporated and Patricks Malta LG violated offshore rules again in 2018. Your Honor... This objection is filled with false statements. In Incorporated is the entity that obtained the license, not Dietrichs-Malta. In the objection, Ms. Tomasco states that Dietrichs-Malta obtained the license. Your Honor, this is false and misleading to the court document number 632, Exhibit I and Exhibit J. I am seeking answers from
1: Ms. Tomasco on this statement. Based on which document and evidence did she claim that Dietrichs-Malta obtained the license? even though the entity was four months after the license application. Your Honor, I am requesting clarity from the Debtors' Council and seeking sanctions against these false statements by Mr. Mezco. Five, Your Honor, I understand the importance of the bankruptcy estate, and it is apparent that you and any other bankruptcy judge are sensitive
6: about it, and it's equally significant to all of us because it represents the assets for all creditors. I am not seeking assets or damages outside my relationship with Bittrex entities. I've demonstrated my good faith by reporting discrepancies in the assets belonging to debtors, which led to the immediate shutdown of Bittrex Global's operations after my report, providing evidence that the estate reported to the bankruptcy court is hundreds of millions of dollars less than what is only a portion of debtors Bittrex entities have in possession assets. Docket number six hundred thirty two, exhibit K and exhibit L. This is blockchain, and everything is transparent to everyone. Simple calculations demonstrate this, which I did and sent to the debtor's counsel. Docket number six hundred thirty two, exhibit K and exhibit L. I respectfully ask, please ask the examiner or counsel to provide information. This false statement of the debtors would matter the most to all creditors, the court, and U.S. bankruptcy. Your Honor, mister David Maria should be aware of the assets belonging to debtors as he's working with a prick since may twenty twenty one. He is well birthed in blockchain, and he was the person I emailed. If he was informed, why did he conceal this point? Six, Your Honor, as thoroughly outlined in Doc number six hundred and thirty two, exhibit G and Exhibit H, I have submitted all my claims via the authorized agent's website. This submission was done in accordance with the guidelines stipulated on the aforementioned site and was signed electronically. To clarify, all these proofs of claim were submitted through the dashboard and were appropriately signed and authorized in line with the Omni Agent platform requirements. Despite this, debtors and the debtors' council now and intentionally he chose to object all claims due to signature issues with even though they are aware that all of them were digitally signed via the case management website by typing the name, as mandated. However, they are willfully and knowingly using this objection as a reason to disregard of claims, a pattern of behavior that has been consistent since 2017 with my account. Your Honor, again, this short period is not one in which we can defend ourselves, especially without any document production, and full of false statements by the debtors. Finally, in closing, I respectfully request the court to issue an order instructing the debtors, their legal counsels, and the plan administrator to, one, to compel them to produce the documentation in question docket number 632, Exhibit C1 and Exhibit C2, two, to adjourn the hearing in relation to the response to the objection docket, docket number 632, Exhibit S1 and Exhibit S2, three. I am seeking clarity on points provided with evidence to debtors' counsels through exhibits of docket number six hundred and thirty-two. Four. Lastly, I'm advocating for the court to impose sanctions on the debtors, their legal counsels, and the plan administrator for misleadings and false statements. Your Honor, thank you once again for your time and the opportunity. I feel it's important to clarify that I disagree with the image of me pictured before the court by the debtors and their counsels regarding me and my claims. I have more claims and set a limit of 132,000 USD for one recovery, and I'm open to negotiation and mediation. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Mr. Abbasi. I appreciate uh, the presentation, and I actually think that uh, that was probably helpful compared to um, uh, trying to do that directly yourself. Again, uh, I, I think. I would note that the court might deal with such a request differently in a different proceeding. Um, but I, I appreciate the comments and I was able to follow the argument and to take careful notes uh, in your presentation.
4: Thank you, Your Honor.
0: Um, the debtor, the, the issue that's before the court is the debtor's request for a protective order limiting discovery. I've heard from Mr. Abbasi. Um, the relief requested is also directed at uh, Mr. Arapoor and Mr. Momenzada, and I would be happy to hear from those gentlemen at this point.
5: Hello. Do you hear my voice?
0: Yes, I can hear you. This is Judge Shannon, and would you please identify yourself for the record? Yes. Uh
5: there uh, Honorable Judge, I am and grateful uh, to the Honorable Court for giving me the opportunity to speak.
0: Okay. The question that's the, – the specific issue that's before us is the debtor's request to uh, not be required to provide documentation and, and discovery that's been uh, requested by you and some of the other claimants. Um, I would be happy to hear from you at this point um, if you wish to be heard.
5: Yes, I uh, uh, have a statement and I answer uh, these objections in my statement. I uh, have a brief uh, from my case. May I to read this? Uh, Yes,
0: Um, you may proceed.
5: I became a member of Bittrex website on June uh, th- uh, twenty uh, uh, at uh, at June three twenty seventeen. At this time, I easily joined Bitrex via an uh, Iranian IP and was trading on this website. In twenty seventeen, Bitrex uh, readily accepted Iranian users and even included Iran in the list of selectable countries in the registration form, and they also accepted Iranian mobile numbers. I can provide the court with a photo of my profile and a file sent by BTREX which contains my Iranian IP log. At the time, BTREX didn't mention Iran as a country from which membership is not possible in their terms of service section, only stating any country to which the United States has embargoed goods or services. In fact, Bittrex knowingly violated US laws by providing services to Iranian users and try not to lose the large Iranian user market. Even uh, at that time, many Iranian users asked them if they also provided services to Iranians, which Bittrex confirmed knowing that it was illegal. I was an ordinary user with no affiliation to the Iranian government or government affiliated companies. I brought my life savings to Bittrex for trading and investing. When I started a website mentioning US-based exchange and compliance with US circulations as evidence, I thought that uh, if Bittrex, an American company is easily working with Iranian users, then there must be no legal problem in this regard. But Bittrex deceived Iranian users and ignored American laws. I was trading on the Bitrex site until October 20, uh, uh, 2017, when my account was disabled without any prior notice and there was no possibility of withdrawing assets. In ticket number 304131, I asked why my account was closed. support replied that first sent a picture and your identity information like a passport. And after 24 hours, the information will be reviewed and your account will be activated. But after sending the requested item, the, this didn't happen. I follow up again and Mr. Brian Lee, from Bitrix support said they were uh, investigating and not to open a new ticket. After a few days, the ticket status changed to solve. I thought no answer had been given to me. They even didn't answer my question about what the problem was and why the ticket status to solve. Four months, afterwards, I was unaware that the account closure was due to the sanction and OFAC and Bittrex initially hide this issue from me and other Iranian users to stop them from heading to OFAC and revealing the truth. Bittrex claims to have frauds accounts based on OFAC's requests, but Bittrex not only frauds the accounts, it's also limited accounts with the Unlike many other exchanges like Binance, which in uh, compliance with OFAC's FAQ number, 37 restricted services to Iranians. They let them withdraw their digital assets and later close accounts. OFAC OFAC FAQ number 37 explains, my bank operates accounts for individuals living in Iran. OFAC has told us that these accounts cannot be operated. Does this mean uh, that the accounts are blocked? No. The accounts are restricted. The Iranian sanctions prohibited the export of goods or services to the Iran. By operating an account for an individual or company in Iran, the bank would be exporting services to the person or entity in the violation of the Iranian transactions, regulations, regulations. The accounts, however, are not blocked. The account holder can close the account and have the funds transferred to his or her accounts outside the United States. Date released September 10, uh, uh, two, 2002. But in contracts of OFAC regulations, BITREC has held this large amount of Iranian capital in the exchange for years. This capital is a significant amount for any exchange that plays the role for a liquidity provider for crypto tokens. Bittrex announced that based on OFAC's permission, it hold open a period for users to withdraw their assets. I didn't understand this matter at the time. At the time, due to the global COVID pandemic and the problem it caused for me, including unemployment, financial difficulties, and my mother's uh, contraction of the virus, I acted later than the uh, stated deadline. July 8, uh, 20, uh, 2020, I message BTREX and sent a field out for explaining why I was delayed, but they didn't accept the release of my capital because of the delay in sending. On november first, uh, 2022, before BTREX had declared bankruptcy, I informed BTREX support in ticket number three oh seven nine eight one six that I am currently residing in uh, Turkey and not living in Iran. However, they responded that due to sanctions of, uh, and OFAC regulations, my account would remain deactivated. I asked again, under what law can you close the account of someone who res- uh, resides on a country not on the sanctions list? They didn't respond again. I. Even sent picture of my Turkish driving license as a legal document. Bitrix claims that I didn't go through the process of verification identity and residence in Turkey, but my account was inactive, and I didn't have the opportunity to go through this process like regular users through the website. I made this request to support, and they announced that the. Uh, that the account would remain closed and they didn't pay attention to my request. The question is how does Bittrex close users' accounts based on their nationality and not the place of residence at its, at, uh, its uh, discretion and block their assets? Is their action based on the race and blood of the users or legal grounds? I had. Requested certain documents from Bitrex for these compli- complaints, which they didn't provide in the specific, in the specified time. In return, they argued that based on federal rules, the time period for document production is 13 days, 30 days. Why they gave me just uh, uh, 14 days for response. Response deadline, November 27th, 2023 20, at 4 p.m. Ironically, they emailed me a few documents on 20th of November, leaving me less than seven days to respond. This was unfair, despite the fact that these documents were incomplete. For example, when did Betrex inform the like, fact about the closure of Iranian accounts? or has my account specifically been uh, reported of fact or not. Even access as a user to profile information on previous ticket on the site had been closed and I couldn't see the amount of tokens I had and uh, I could only see the amount of tokens I had on one page. Bitrex registered different companies to ease its legal and tax problems. And as an ordinary user who registered on their site in 2017, I was unaware of how these companies operated and handled my assets. I only knew that I registered, I registered on with and uh, that my assets were with this uh, website. Even when the filling the claim, giving my bad experience with Bitrex, I felt completely. To register the claim in various ways available on OmniAgent solution to ensure my request was filled due. I later withdraw the duplicated claims to show good faith and state that I am only seeking to receive my rights and not to disrupt the bankruptcy proceeding. My assets, including the following tokens Dogecoin, Zen, SC, Ripple, BTC, and BCH, at their peak value, these assets were worth about $19,000. This money represents years of work for me, living in a country where the local currency had significantly less value compared to the dollar. In essence, it was all my saving and capital for the life of my child. Bittrex, by blocking my assets, caused serious financial and emotional damage to me, my family life. At the time when I had just had a child, suffered severe damage and I am still suffering from these familial and emotional injuries. I'm perspective the argument of debtors Councils in regard to the terms of service are not saying as it doesn't mean anything that I was obligated to accept terms and conditions. Thus, I am am under governance of those terms. So in my perspective, one, my relationship with the debtors are not under general rules and regulation of U.S.A.P. I repeat again, my relationship with the debtors are under general rules and regulation of USA. Two, the contracts are unenforceable because I didn't sign them as expressed in the debtors' objection to my claims. I was resident of a sanctioned country, so providing uh, services to me and entering into uh, agreements with me by a U.S. entity was prohibited by laws. Thus, such contracts are against U.S. law and are uh, unenforceable. Three, in case the court find those terms legal and enforceable in such case, I would like to emphasize that the account opening and blocking happened into the, uh, in 2017 and it's not covered by Brexit. 2018 terms and conditions, but Mr. Tomasco knowingly and intentionally mentioned that uh, 2018 terms mislead me on the honorable court eventually. So these are, my, uh, these are my causes of action. One, unfair and illegal account disabling and assets freezing back to 2017. Honourable Judge, if the intention of intention of Bittrex was compliance with OFAC rules and regulations, they would let me know that my account is disabled for the reason of my Iranian sanctions uh, from beginning, not con, uh, not concerning security or account really. Report my account to OFAC in ten days, legal period of time, not in April of uh, 2018. When Mr. X filed an application with OFAC, would let me withdraw after I provide my full residency document, providing I live outside Iran on November 1st, 2022. In brief, I'm seeking damage in the amount of 300,000 These figures, figures is to com, uh, compens, uh, compensate for the loss resulting from the inability to access my assets since, 20, uh, since 2017, triple damage and the emotional and psychological harm I experienced due to the B3X Act and emissions. <clears throat> it also serves a cognitive Purpose against the debtors, and I am not asking for anything more as for I humbly request to the court to appoint a mediator and adjourn this learning so I will have enough time for discussion with the debtors in hope for reaching the resolution. And uh, they would have 13 days required time to produce all required documents.
0: Very good. Thank you, Mr. Arapour. You're welcome. Um, I believe, uh, is Mr. Momanzada also on the line?
7: Yes, I am online. Uh,
0: welcome, sir. I, I, uh, I hope that you were able to hear and understand uh, Mr. Abbasi and Mr. Arapour, um and uh, uh, obviously to have heard uh, counsel for Bittrex for the company. Um, I would be happy to hear from you at this time, I have had the opportunity to review your submissions.
7: Okay, thank you very much. Dear Honorable Judge, I am humbly presenting my case before this esteemed court, seeking your fair consideration. I am a user of Bitrix and Bitrix Multi-ACP, a cryptocurrency exchange, But my account was illegally disabled back to 2017. But I was residing in Iran causing significant financial and emotional damage. I cannot, uh, right now, I cannot an English fluently, so I read uh, from a written document. is not okay. a problem, right? That's fine. Thank you very much. Uh, the US uh, regulators have extended the definition of bank to crypto exchanges as Bank Secrecy Act applies uh, to it and FinCEN and SEC and other regulators have jurisdiction over BITREX, and it proves that definition of bank is extended to the crypto exchanger. Consider the fact that this FAQ is explained by OFAC in 2002. At that particular time, there was no crypto exchange. Thus, it concludes all financial related vehicles of future. Otherwise, OFAC would delete this FAQ. It means this explains issue is inclusive. The debtors cancelled use debtors products. He uh, should use discovery to prove that fact required a license. In addition, I think Mrs Tomasko was talking about Malta Holding company, not Malta LTD, Docket ninety-two do proves the assets are transferred to Brx Malta LTD. The crucial documents related to my enhanced verification process of my account, which Mr. Klein, I did not complete, were not provided in a timely manner. When they provided, they were incomplete. I kindly ask the court to consider granting additional time for these important documents to, to be produced as the counselors of the debtors asked for a 30 days interval to produce all of such documents in their objection, and I have, I have just seven days to file a response because they provided the affirmation documents, which had in their possession late. Moreover, there is a lack of clarity regarding when and why my assets were transferred from Bitrex to Bitrex Malta Ltd. As I couldn't find my assets on Bitrex, I request the court's help in compelling Bitrex to provide the necessary documents. That can shed light on this illicit trans transaction. The fact is they could not move an asset which is frozen because of OFAC regulations to an offshore entity outside of USA. My, my claim comprises four different ones. Due to, due to unclear situation of my assets, including both customer proofs of clients for the coins and general proofs of general proofs of crime for the damages I sustain. I have prepared to put a cap on my claims, valuing up to twenty three thousand eight hundred and thirty nine dollars.
0: I'm sorry, I'm sorry, could you repeat I'm sorry, could you repeat that number?
7: Yes? Twenty three thousand eight hundred and thirty nine dollars. Which values which includes actualized based on conversion theory and emotional and punitive damages. My holding on BITREX includes 0.1104 Bitcoin, 32.8 stability tokens or Swan City tokens, and 143 NBT stable coins tokens. At their peak value, their assets totaled $7,946. I am seeking three times this amount as compensation for the emotional and psychological harm caused by Beatrix's actions based on the tremble damage and conversion theory or whatever legal grounds that the court finds just and proper. The disabling of my account has caused me significant distress leading to health issues such as high blood pressure and chronic depression. It has also strained my relationships with my family and friends. I registered on 16 in January 2017 as an Iranian resident. There was no mention of Iran's status or sanction in terms of conditions. After reaching out to BITRIX support, I received misleading guidance from co-founder of BITRIX, Ryan Haines. I upgraded my account, enhanced verification in June 2017 using my Iranian passport, mobile number, and residential address. However, in October 2017, my account was inexplicably made inactive. In September September 2022, as a Turkish resident, I provided all necessary documents to Petrax. Despite proving my residency, Petrax denied my request without cause, marking a second violation of my rights. Given the short preparation time for the court and incomplete documents produced, I kindly request the court consideration for another hearing. This is crucial for the preparation, for protection of my rights and the pursuit of fair resolution with debtors. I appreciate the court's attention for this matter. Thank you very much. Sincerely, Amin Ali, Momenzadeh.
0: Thank you, sir. Mr. Moscow?
1: Your Honor, the matter before the court specifically is whether or not Bittrex should be subjected to far-flung discovery with respect to the OFAC regulations or other transactions with other Iranians or other sanctioned uh, residents. Um, We are here to talk about proportionality, and proportionality under the cases that we cite has various components. One is, does the information that the claimants seek bear any relationship to the matters before the court? We've explained, um, and the part of this also has to do with, even if they got the information, would it create, uh, would it be more burdensome rather than probative of the issues before the court? So I want to point out a couple of things. All three Iranian claimants have stated in their, um, Claim objection responses, those are at exhibits 18, 24, and 31, that they signed the 2015 terms of service. That is a judicial admission or a statement against interest. They have admitted that they signed those terms of service. We can also prove that they signed the 2018 terms of service. We can put up a screenshot that's going to show that when they logged in on X date, they accepted them, but we don't need to go there. We're going to go with what they have admitted in their pleadings, right? The 2015 Terms of Service disclaim consequential damages. So anything to do with emotional distress or the fact that you couldn't trade your coins when they were at their peak or that you couldn't withdraw your coins is specifically disclaimed under the 2015 Terms of Service. They had their accounts blocked, blocked, wrong term, disabled in 2017 as a result of the OFAC subpoena. So Bittrex voluntarily disclosed their trading information to OFAC. That's the exact documents that they've already gotten, which is a, a, a line by line itemization of every trade they ever made. So they have all of that information anyway. So delving into the OFAC issues is irrelevant because it's not going to change the fact that they signed the 2015 Terms of Service. Proportionality also concerns the amount of the claims. What you have heard from the claimants are wildly speculative, unsupported with no documentation to support claims that are round amounts, 300,000, 200,000. This is clearly um, uh, uh, lottery seeking behavior. They're trying to hit the lottery here. We have made it clear. If they can come back with documents that show that they are no longer ordinarily resident in Iran, they can show us what uh, Mr. Goddard showed us: a lease, a utility bill, not just a driver's license. But this is what is required so that we are not inadvertently violating the OFAC sanctions. Now, that is the, that is the claim objection. And so, the question before your honor on this agenda item, which is only the motion for protective order, is does Bittrex have to, or the plan administrator have to produce volumes of information with respect to the OFAC um, uh, sanctions that have nothing to do with whether or not these claims can be allowed because this is simply a terms of service, what kind of coins you have in there um, and what is it that we're supposed to do for you as a customer. So we've already said we still have your crypto. It's still there. With respect to the defunct crypto, we have a plan provision that says that we will not pay out defunct crypto. We can't be paying fees to third parties to deliver crypto that is not worth the, the process of mining that coin and de- delivering it to somebody else. That's a given fact. The Lomo coin issue that Mr. Abbasi a- alleges, it's between 2 and $4 worth of he, see, he seems to think that, that the fact that it was transferred from Bitrix Inc. to Bitrix Malta to Bitrix Global is of some moment, but the transfer doesn't actually occur. When, cu- when customers transferred off of Bitrix Inc. to Bitrix Global as they were allowed to do as part of this process, if they were not resident in the US, that was an accounting entry because there is a single omnibus wallet that covers all Bittrex entities. So it's an accounting entry. The coin doesn't actually move. It's all still there at the same wallet address. And so the fact that those transferred defunct coins transferred with those customers doesn't prove anything. Um, Mr. Abbasi also seems to think that Bitrix is engaging in some kind of uh, depletion of its assets well, as the court well knows, Bittrex allowed from June 15th to August 31st its customers to withdraw their cryptocurrency, um, something that Mr. Godder took advantage of during that period. Um, and uh, so those, those wallet amounts are going to decrease. It doesn't mean that anything is happening with, in, with these crypto customers' crypto. Their, their crypto is still there. So what do we have to decide? This is about proportionality and about getting some um, boundaries around what we are going to decide with respect to the claim objection. We cannot be engaging in volumes of discovery. They're requesting a privilege log that's hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of cost Uh, to the debtors, to produce something that cannot support a cause of action because they signed the 2015 Terms of Service and the 2018, but I don't need to go there. Um, So what is it that we're doing here by providing discovery to discover unavailable causes of action that they have signed away already? Um, And for that reason, Your Honor, we ask that you grant the motion for protective order.
0: Okay. Um, Here's what we're going to do. Um, the matter that's before the court today, there are several matters. The first are um, claim objections to claims, a collection of claims filed by uh, creditors, uh, Mr. Abbasi, Mr. Momanzada, and Mr. Um, Poor. And I very much appreciate those parties participating today and taking the, the, the significant steps to try to uh, advise the court of their positions, and uh, obviously we will turn to their claim objections at the appropriate time. The threshold question, though, that is raised by the debtor, the gating question, is the extent to which additional discovery is necessary or appropriate in connection with the claim objections. I am going to grant the debtor's request for a protective order that would preclude the discovery that has been identified and requested either formally or informally uh, by the claimants, and I will give you my reasons. Uh, First, uh, discovery is subject to regulation by the court within the sound discretion of the court managing the litigation that is before the court. And I'm satisfied, actually, I, I do believe that Ms. Tomasco's description is, in fact, accurate that the claim objections themselves present relatively narrow uh, disputes before the court hotly contested but nevertheless primarily narrow disputes about the status of certain claims and the treatment of those claims from when the investments were made uh, really all the way to today but I'm not satisfied that there is uh, that the proceeding would be meaningfully informed or aided by what is uh, clearly broad and expansive discovery that would be uh, both voluminous, may involve third parties, and by the court's experience would certainly be an expensive exercise posited against asserted claims that, at least in nominal terms, are relatively modest. And it is not beyond the court's assessment that while there are additional claims Uh, that have been challenged by the debtor uh, that might be for consequential damages or uh, injury suffered because of a lack of ability to access accounts or investment on the debtor's representation, that inability was a function of government action, not a corporate policy or an executive's decision, but that is a decision or that is an issue that is before the court in the context of the claim objections. But I don't believe that extensive inquiry into... The how or how the OFAC regulations came into effect, the debtor's engagement or involvement with OFAC um, or its internal communications with regarding compliance with applicable uh, government regulation. Uh, I'm not satisfied that that would meaningfully inform the court's analysis of the claim objections. And so, based upon the record before me, uh, I'm, I'm satisfied that the debtors have carried their burden. Um, and the court would be prepared to enter an order uh, providing for uh, a protective order precluding additional further discovery beyond that, that which is identified in the debtor's response. That leaves us, though, uh, with having ruled on the protective order, we will need to reschedule the claim objection hearings with respect to Mr. Arapoor, Mr. Abbasi, and Mr. Momanzada. The court has another matter scheduled for 10, and or, I'm sorry, for noon, East Coast time, and another matter scheduled for 1. I apologize for the inconvenience and the disruption, but I agree with debtor's counsel that the question of available or appropriate discovery was, in fact, a gating question today. Had the court directed additional further discovery under any circumstances, these matters would have been adjourned, uh, while precluding additional further discovery. I simply don't have time today to deal with uh, the claim objections on the merits. I acknowledge and note that the claimants have gone to significant personal effort to engage in this proceeding, and I would again express my appreciation to those parties for their efforts in doing so, and I want to make sure that I have the opportunity to conduct a hearing in which they can challenge the debtor's objection to their claims on a record Uh, and in a proceeding that I simply do not have time to accommodate today. So where we are is that the debtor's motion for a protective order is granted, and I would direct that the debtor promptly provide a form of order under certification of counsel. So providing, I would ask further that the debtor coordinate and communicate with the claimants that I've identified that have been the subject of our colloquy today and identify a convenient time, uh, for a hearing. I believe we have, given the holidays, it seems to me unlikely that we would be able to gather before year end. I believe the debtor already has uh, dates on my calendar in January, um, and again, the court would confirm that those uh, parties that would wish to participate by Zoom uh, are, uh, will be permitted to do so, uh, and that would afford me then the opportunity to conduct a hearing um, on the on the merits, but again circling back, the debtors, uh, Ms. Tomasco's suggestion that today that the discovery question was a gating question, I agree. I have answered that question for the parties, and I would look uh, for the parties to confer regarding scheduling a hearing on the substance or merits of the claim objections. With that, we are adjourned. Thank you, Council.
1: Thank you, Your Honor.